Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Midhurst in Sussex, we present Opinions Unlimited. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your chairman, Cliff Mitchell. Welcome to the last of this series of Opinions Unlimited, and we've waited until the last to come to one of the loveliest parts of the whole of the Southern Television area. We've come to Midhurst in Sussex. You have broken my heart. There, I have written it. Not for you to read, Minna for this letter will never be sent, never shrink and wither under your laughter, little lips prim and pleated, laughter like dulcimer music. Shall I tell you of the muse who awaited me? I wanted you to walk beside me into her vaulted halls. There were the springs of Helicon. I would furnish you with the food of the soul, the bread that is prose and the wine that is poetry. Ah, the wine, Minna. This is the rose-red blood of the troubadour. Uh, welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. Every episode, we take a book out into the wilds to see if the world of fiction matches up with the real world. I'm Lloyd Shepard. I'm a writer and digital producer. Hello, my name is Tim Wright. I'm a digital writer and producer of immersive fiction. That rather purple prose that you heard was the opening paragraphs of From Dune with Death, the first novel by Ruth Rendell. Yes, published in 1964. So we're continuing our uh, our journey with the grand dames of English detective fiction. Well, do you know what she's called by the papers? I saw this. She's called the Ice Queen. Not without reason, I would I say. I think that's just prejudice because she's half Danish. Oh, is that what it is? And the journalists are just like, oh, yeah. Not just because she's very rude to everybody. <laughs> well, she's quite intimidating. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Ruth Rendell yeah. in a bit. But, yes, we're going to try and find a town called King's Markham. Yes, because this is the first novel of her series, loads of them, yeah. about um, a police officer called Inspector Wexford. Inspector the Wexford. Wexford novel. So you probably know this. They're very, very famous. Played by George Baker in the uh, TV adaptations that ran for during the 80s. I've never watched one. I've never watched one either. You know, he's the voice of James Bond in... Uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. No, I didn't know that. You know when he goes to the uh, Alpine Lair 
uh, well, his voice is actually dubbed, and it's George Baker. Is that right? Yeah. Oh well, sixty-four is a big year for Fleming. We'll get on to that. Yeah, we'll get on to we'll get on to sixty-four in a bit. Yeah. Uh, so we're trying to find Kings Markham now. Ruth Rendell herself says in the afterword to From Doom with Death that Kings Markham is based on a town called Midhurst. Yeah. Which is in West Sussex. That's right. She's very clear about She's that. She's very clear about that. Yeah. So we were. She we, also says that the book's set in 1964. She's very clear about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But, you know. We drove down to uh, Midhurst, cheerfully confident that we were going to find. Well, we've been on a good run, haven't we? We've been on a good run where we've actually, you know, particularly, you know, Agatha Christie and Dorothy. Oh, Hansen you had to is. talk about Agatha Christie. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. But we, you know, we, in both, that, those, both of those two things, we looked at fictional places. Yeah. But we also mapped them onto real places. Yeah. And, and we a, took her word. We took her word. We were very... That we were Midhurst was very, the place. Very uh, trusting. It was out of his way, but he went to the corner of Tabard Road and looked up the high street. From here, he could see right up to the beginning of the Stowerton Road, where the last cars were leaving the forecourt of the Olive and Dove. The marketplace was empty. The only people to be seen, a pair of lovers standing on the Kingsbrook Bridge... As he watched, the Stowerton bus appeared between the Scotch pies on the r- pies. As he watched, the Stowerton bus appeared between the Scotch pines on the horizon. It vanished again in the dip beyond the bridge. Hand in hand, the lovers ran to the stop in the centre of the marketplace. As the bus pulled in, close against the dismantled cattle stands, nobody got off. Burden sighed and went home. She hasn't turned up, he said to his wife. Yeah. Well, there's a brief. There's a reason why she hasn't turned up. Yeah, there's a good reason why she hasn't turned up. <laughs> because uh, it's in completely the wrong place, possibly the wrong town. <laughs> <laughs> so we've um, we've come to Midhurst. Yeah, lovely. In the in West Sussex. Very very pretty. Very the bit pretty. We're, in. we're sitting in the Market Square. We've come to the Market Square because that's what the book says we should do. That's what the book says we should do. And we're looking up towards the bridge to see the High Street. But and we're oh. <laughs> Hang on. This is We're having puzzling. some problems. We're already having some problems. This is puzzling, isn't it? It's, uh, we've only been here about 20 minutes, and nothing's in the right place. We've come here because Ruth Rendell herself, in the uh, afterword to From Doom With Death, says, The town these people lived in was in Sussex, and though calling it King's Markham, yes. I based it on Midhurst. Based it. Where I had lived for a time as a child. Mm-hmm. So we don't know mm-hmm. how old she was when she lived here. But she presumably knew the town pretty well, Midhurst. Do you think? Well, we I are already struggling. We are already struggling. what we're doing about here. There's no way you can see from the market square to any kind of a bridge. There's only one bridge in Midhurst these days. And it's a little bit out of town across the River Rotha. Yeah, well, so there's no high street as such. There's, There's North Street. The North Street is the high street, and that's to one side of wh- where the old town is, Yeah, where the old market square that's is. So the, the whole thing's are. off. We need to help Midhurst. I'm worried. I'm worried for them because I found a, a document called the Midhurst Vision, a big campaign to kind of help the, the town sort of thrive. And in its introduction to this document, it's on the um, chichester.gov.uk if you're interested, says, like many towns throughout the UK, Midhurst has a range of unique qualities. Yet as a result of social and economic change, it faces competition from neighbouring destinations like Chichester, Petersfield, Hazelmere and Guildford. 
Chichester District Council recognised this problem and through a series of projects engaged with the community to help identify key areas of development. Now, while residents may have strong emotional links to their town or village, it is becoming increasingly important to understand and reveal the innate qualities and character of a place to attract visitors and compete with other towns. However, it may be difficult to express what defines a place, but it is important to do so to ensure that any support given by way of physical improvement or economic development is appropriate and does not lead to the loss of individuality and regional identity. Now, mm. there's a number of things hidden in there. main thing is strong emotional links to a town. Mm -hmm. And the other one is the business about social and, social and economic physical improvement and economic development. Mm -hmm. Now, I think Ruth Rendell's really interested in social development. She claims to be very interested in social development. Yep. In an interview I saw with her, she said that she knows London really well, for example, okay. so well yeah. that if somebody came from another country and they wanted to understand how London had changed over time, yeah. they just had to read her books. So she's the perfect guide. For, for Midhurst, exactly. right? Exactly. If someone she's, who's really into she, a sense she of... She spent time here as a child. Emotional commitment. She's set more than 20 novels here. Well, based on. Uh, so Ch Chester District Council should be all over this, right? Being how it's changed over time. So if we take the book and use it as a guide to the town... Should that work, could be, right? That could be a great tourist trap for... Every, anyone who loves Ruth Rendell. Exactly. All the, the, it become, it'd become Ruth Rendell Town. It wouldn't be Midwich Cuckoo Town anymore. Uh, yeah, which is yeah the the other the other book that we think might be set here. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's be positive at this stage. <laughs> I mean, the marketplace we're a bit worried it doesn't really work, and the high street's not really where we think it is. But that's okay. We'll um we'll we'll, we'll plow on. Um, I'd quite like to try and go and find obviously my favourite place in every town, the railway station. Uh, we have to find the police station. That's important. Obviously, it's a it's a very um, snazzy police station. Very I'm snazzy looking forward to seeing station, that. Um, that's described in the book as, yeah, as a classic sixty gateway to the town. Would be really great. So looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, yeah. So there's some good things to go and find. Oh, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. Well, should we uh, should we head out? <laughs> I'm I'm ready to go. You're pumped. <laughs> it was a plot of the first book that that, that I was very keen on that I liked. I had to have an investigating officer and I sort of invented Wexford because it almost seems to be second nature to me that any character I have must have a, a strong personality. Um, so that's what he had and he stayed with that tough cop image for a long time, well many years and then I felt I'm stuck with this man after I'd written perhaps three Wexfords and he must I've got to live with him, so he must be somebody I can live with. And so I made him, um, I think, more liberal, more literate, more interesting, I hope, and more interesting to me because I was living with him. Ruth Rendell has written something like 80 books. Some, yeah, a huge amount of books. Yes. And also not just as Ruth Rendell. You may know her listener as Barbara Vine. So she writes in two voices. The Barbara Vine books are more kind of psychological you know, she set herself apart from the clockwork nature of, as she would have described it, of, of classic detective fiction. She didn't just set herself apart, mate. She she came yeah. out she came out against it. She said she hated Agatha, and that awful Marple woman, and she said of St Mary Mead, the village that Marple lives in, 
She says she can hardly bear to say the name of that village, where one finds a lot of normal, law-abiding people living ordinary, blameless lives who suddenly decide to murder their aunt. Well, I don't believe that. Well, I read that quote, and I uh, took against her almost immediately. (laughs) First of all, she's being rude about the sainted Agatha. Yes. But also she's arguing in bad faith. That's not how Agatha Christie novels work. Those, those novels are not like that at all. Not Do you the, think she's not read them? She's either read them or is willfully misrepresenting them. You know, to, the, the idea that Agatha Christie's characters live blameless lives just seems moronic to me. I mean, the point of... The you know when you said to they're me... All, they're all doing... They're all hiding something. It's very, very strange. You know when you said to me during the fantasy novel saga that I was doing Klingon face? Yeah, I'm yeah. doing it. Yeah, that's what you just did. Yeah. She's from Essex. She is. In case you she couldn't tell. She was born tell. in uh, South Woodford. Yeah. 66 Gordon Road. She was the only child of Arthur Graysman, a schoolmaster, yeah. and his wife, Ebba Elisa, ne Cruiser, oh. who was also a teacher, who was Swedish by birth. Oh, not Danish in, then. Brought up in Denmark. Sorry, my, my bad. I said earlier she was half Danish. Yeah, she definitely has the, the Scandinavian look about her, I would say. Yeah, there is that. She didn't like talking about her childhood, did she? She was very. No, she refused to. Well, I gather her parents had a very difficult marriage. Yeah. Well, Rendell said the marriage was a great disaster. But, but she doesn't say much more about it. She's very. She's much more positive about her dad than her mum. Yeah, she was evacuated to the Cotswolds. Oh, in, well, this is in interesting, 40s. isn't it? Yeah, there's a good story here about. Yeah. Um, she later said that there was a terrible incident in which the vicar's pregnant maidservant drowned herself in a pond. Yes, she said that might have affected some of the darker moments. In her books, well, it would, wouldn't it? Her mother became ill with multiple sclerosis, and yeah. uh, she was brought, mainly brought up by a housekeeper. Spent summer and Christmas holidays in Scandinavia. So not in Midhurst, then. She says in the book that she went to Midhurst as a child, but yeah. that's the only reference I can find to her going there. Anyway, she became a um, a journalist upon, upon leaving uh, school. Didn't go to university. Yes, uh, in Essex. She lived in Loughton for the Chigwell Times. Yeah, here's a, an incident which I can't help dwelling on. Oh, here as we, we walk around Midhurst, she gave up the job at the Chigwell Times because she produced an advance report of a local sports dinner, which she didn't actually attend, but during which the speaker had died. <laughs> and then she re- <laughs> did she write the report without that? She, didn't re- she left that bit out because she wasn't there. We've yeah. all been there, though, haven't we? We, we have both been, been journalists and small, all, small yeah, but we didn't publications. We to become massively famous, best-selling I writers. didn't go to a national coal board press conference once because I had a hangover and just wrote it up from the press release, and I never told my, yeah. my editor. Thankfully, I think nobody died. Yeah, <laughs> nobody died. She married a, a chap called Don, Don Rendell. The book's dedicated to Don, isn't it? To it Don. is dedicated to Don. Now, the, the funny thing about Don is they actually divorced in January 1976. Oh, well, that's... And then yes. remarried the next year. Do you know what? She did say something I thought was very funny. Asked why they'd separated and then got back together. She found that she couldn't live without him because he was the sort of man with whom you could go on a 200-mile car trip and never have to say a word. <laughs> I... I I'm, admire that man. I'm very much into I admire that. that man. My wife would see would would if she ever listens to the podcast, which I doubt, she'd know that I'm not one for talking in the car. No, me neither. Mm. From Doom to Death was the, her third book she wrote. Right, but it was the first one published. Published by John Long in 1964. Seventy five pounds advance. Gosh, I would say, all right. Never looked back, right? Yeah, and Inspector Wexford featured in 23 further novels. Amazing. The last of which was in 2013. What interests me as well, and us, 
is um, that that means that there must be an enormous amount of detail about King's Markham evolving over time because it's it, they're written over three and a half decades, well, I'm to four about decades. That. I'm going to talk about that. I've got some things to okay, say. Okay, but yeah, which is, is uh, the idea yeah. about how you how you keep it must mean that somebody if not her, is regularly going to have to go back to Midhurst <laughs> to check, to check, out, uh, check the changes Absolutely, in order to yeah, yeah. keep in sync. She does, you know what, she does claim, I saw in the obituary of her in The Guardian that they talked about, she never did any research, but, quote, simply made things up. Later on, she hired a researcher, but the great detail she gave her stories was the result, she said, of going on long walks. <laughs> well, we should say from Doom with Death, it tells the story of a... Uh, uh, a woman goes missing. Margaret Parsons. Is then found dead in the woods outside Midhurst. Uh, yeah. Outside King's Markham, I should say. <laughs> and there's a range of suspects. There are a range of suspects. Her husband, sort of meek and mild husband. Her old school friends. Old school friends who are a sort of mixture of kind of like quite hippie-ish, sort of living in a cottage, and then some awful kind of capitalist people and some rather refined solicitors' wives. and It's kind of a, a, a snapshot of kind of commuter town life yeah. in the early 60s. Yeah, with something dark lurking underneath. Yeah, yeah is it, that's what I'm thinking is that she's thought the kind of people who live in a place like, say, say Midhurst. Midhurst. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and an important part of that, that community, of course, is the fact that the men are, are, are either a sort of business owners locally yep. or are commuting into town. She has a section about them commuting. Yeah, with their bowler with hats. With their bowler hats into town. Yeah. So obviously the station... Plays uh, a major part because uh, they uh, think that actually that Margaret Parsons may have been going to the train station to meet a secret lover. Exactly. So the uh, so it's, it's critical that there was... It's important that Kings Markham, a.k.a. Midhurst, has a train station. Makes sense. In 1964. Yeah. Or 1963, which we'll Even. come on to. <laughs> um, uh, so the train station should be easy to find, right? Yeah, I would have thought so. Kings Markham was awake, beginning to bustle. The shops were still closed, but the buses had been running for two hours. Occasionally the sun shone in shafts of watery brilliance, then vanished again under clouds that were white and thick or bluish with rain. The bus queue stretched almost to the bridge. Down towards the station, men hurried, singly or in pairs, bowler-hatted, armed with cautious umbrellas, through a long custom unintimidated by the hour-long commuting to London. The train station. Yeah, so uh, continuing our uh, Ruth Rendell walking tour of Midhurst. That's right. For which the benefit we're going to offer to Chichester District Council as a way of uh, marketing the town. Giving them a sense of place. We've come down from the Market Square. That was a bit problematic. You couldn't really see up the high street or anything but you know no. we, we we plowed on so we've come down to the railway station yeah and you located it perfectly there isn't a railway station here <laughs> well there's an, there's an anglers there's a big sign saying private land no trespassing anglers only there's a 60s rather a groovy uh 60s apartments complex yeah, really cool we'll take, we'll give and you a, a road called the fairway yes so, Tim. Which you'd assume was leading to a golf course, I'd say. You would assume it was leading to a golf course. The fairway, though, is actually the old railway line. So I've looked for, I found from one of my favourite sites... Yeah, there's, an, there's an embankment there with a tunnel in it. There is an old embankment there. Very good. One of my favourite websites, disusedstations.org.uk. Ah, oh, that's your lost pubs, isn't it? Day opened, Mrs. Mid- Midhurst Railway Station. Day opened, 15th of October, 1866. Mm-hmm. Location... The fairway now runs through the site. 
it's gone. So it's essentially it's we're, we're, we're by the railway line, but there is no railway. Yeah. There's two. So, hold there's on. This book we think is set in 1963. 1963. The railway station closed to passengers yes. uh, in 1955. 1955? Yep. Yep, 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 yep. I have to say, these, these houses look like they were built in 1963. Yep. They look really 60s. Fact, there were still freight trains running here oh. until the 16th of October 1964, but no one was commuting from here. And even before 1955, it wouldn't have taken you an hour to get to London because you couldn't get a train to London from here. You had to go via Petersfield or Pulborough. Oh, you have to go east or west. east to west. You can't go directly north. So um, I'm afraid... Gosh. This is another mark against... Well, the, Midhurst <clears throat> as a Ruth Rendell walking tour. You can't go to the railway station. I believe in subsequent books there's talk about the railway station as well. Well, in the uh, in Road Rage, which came out in the nineties, they're still talking about a railway the, station. Well, aren't she, they? Uh, the uh, wife goes to well, the train station is a, a quite a big location in that book. Yes, it is because there's a cat ta- cab rank outside. Yeah, and also Wexford's wife goes to get a train to London and disappears. So, if you were going to base King's Markham on Midhurst, you might say to yourself, hang on a minute, there's no station. Yeah. Starting to get a pattern We're here. starting to get a few problems. But she so, claims to have grown up here, right? Uh, she spent time here as a child, was the word she used. Oh. I don't know whether she stopped off for a wee on a drive down to Chichester. <laughs> <laughs> or as a very bookish child, never left the house. Never left the house. Certainly never took a train. Well, I suppose if she spent time here in the 19, early 1950s, there would have been a railway station here. But there's still, there's still things we can find, right? Yes, true. There's still the police station. Police station I'm excited about. There's still the cinema. They yes. talk a lot, a lot about the cinema. Yeah. So we're going to look for and the cinema. And the river. There uh, is a river. And the river. So there's, there's still a few, you know, still hopeful. Okay. But uh, so far, you know, there's a few worrying signs. Yes. It's a deep sense of another place. Yes. You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. If you want to listen to the second episode of this Ruth Rendell special right now, without any ads, you can sign up to our Patreon page. Uh, Just head over to patreon.com and search for Curiously Specific. There you will not only find the second episode, but also we add our show notes where we put in all the links and all the information about the media and the research that we've done in order to bring you this detailed insight into this book. Um, well, I've got to do a map for this one as well. Oh, yeah, we like to do a map. It's going to be really quite challenging. Well, are you going to do a what map What am I of, doing a map of? Are you going to do a map of King's Markham, yeah, or are you well, going to do a map of well, Midhurst? Midhurst? Well, well, you could do a map of Midhurst and just say where everything isn't. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That'll be helpful. Be an anti-map. Do it in reverse. <laughs> no, that's nice. Put a few plot spoilers there for what's coming. But uh, yeah, so if you head over there, if you pay two pounds, you get all that for, uh, for including the ad-free second episode straight away. If you pay five pounds, you can sign up for our Discord server and have a chat with us about all things bookish and places. Yes, when we go out on our field trips, we post photos to the Discord server and then try and give, give people early advance warning. This yeah. one was quite amusing because we just sent a load of pictures of places that didn't exist. Otherwise, we will be back in a week with the second episode with yes. ads. Yes. Now back to the podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're told that every country gets the government it deserves. Does the panel think this applies to local as well as to national governments? How many local government officials have we got here? <laughs> Nobody's admitting to it. <laughs> Nobody in Midhurst admits to... Are you, are you in local government by any chance? I was a parish councillor until recently. Oh, you were kicked out or you left? <laughs> no, I left. You left. Oh. But I think they're the one bit of local government that really is super. 1964, when this book was published, was a very great year. Yes, but you're not allowed to talk about... There's two things you're not allowed to talk about. Oh. I, I set myself this rule. Oh. You're not allowed to talk about music and you're not allowed to talk about Vietnam. Oh, OK. OK. Can we talk about my birthday? You can... <laughs> You're allowed to talk about your birthday. I did have you down on my list of births. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Oh, bless you. What are your other ones? Uh, well, I had, I had there's quite a lot of good births in 1964. Jeff Bezos, Brett Easton Ellis, Juliette Binoche, Nina Cherry, Prince Edward, I know you're a big fan of. Nigel Farage was born the same big year fan. as you. Uh, Andy Serkis, Kathy Burke, Boris Johnson, yeah, born the fan. same year as you. Courtney Love, Keanu Reeves, Bill Bailey, hmm? Dave Roundtree, Bonnie Langford. Hooray. And, of course, the name that's on everybody's lips this morning, Sarah Lancashire. Oh, I thought you were going to say Tim Wright. Sarah Lancashire from uh, Happy Valley. The last episode was last night. Imagine if Bonnie Langford had done Happy Valley. <laughs> she, she could have played the Siobhan Vinegan player. Or, she could have been the alcoholic sister. Or, indeed, if she'd been lead singer of Blur. Or the drummer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the whole world would have been different. It's quite a lot, it's quite a lot of good birds, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
Also, the me- Tim Wright as well. Sorry. No, what about when I, as I came into the world, I have to say a lot of the things that influenced me came into the world. I see that Top of the Pop started. It did. Play School started. Vision which on. I was, Vision on. All match of the day. Match of the day. And also The Sun. <laughs> so a lot of popular media came out yeah. then, didn't it? Some great films. Yes. Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. Don't you think there's a bit of Mary Poppins and Ruth Rendell? Yes, absolutely. Practically perfect in every Practically way. Practically perfect. Hard Day's Night, kind of a music reference. Yeah. Goldfinger. Beckett. Not one, but two Carry On films. Carry mm-hmm. On Cleo and Carry On Spying. Uh, and Doctor Strange Love were the ones I wrote down. Ma- massive year for Ian Fleming. Massive year. Massive in all sorts year. of ways. In massive year. <laughs> Not only did he, so Goldfinger comes out, right? Yeah, he, also go, he also publishes Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is amazing. And You Only Live Twice. Well, <laughs> that's hilarious that his last book's called You Only Live Twice yeah, and, and then he drops dead. It. Before Chitty Chitty Bang Bang came out, actually, he, he died. You know, we, we did a podcast about Moonraker and, yes. and decided that book was essentially a book about his... Commuting. Uh, and, and his fury about the roads. and bypass. Yeah. yeah. What, did, you, did you see the last thing he ever said? No. So Ian Fleming walks to Royal St George's Golf Club near Sandwich, Kent, on the on August the 11th for lunch with friends, collapsing shortly afterwards with a heart attack. His last recorded words are an apology to the ambulance drivers. I'm sorry to trouble you, chaps. I don't know how you get along so fast with the traffic on these roads these days. <laughs> Fleming dies the next day. That's superb. <laughs> Really so we were right about him. We were really He's right obsessed about, about the traffic yeah. <laughs> to um, his dying day. So you said we're not allowed to talk about the Vietnam War, but are we allowed to talk about the fact that, that people who normally didn't get a, a, a public voice, women, for example, yes. but also, I mean, just loads of different people from minority groups and from different ethnic backgrounds start, were, get, were started to get a voice. So, I mean, I was thinking that Dorothy Crowford Hodgkin, Dorothy Hodgkin wins the Nobel Prize for Chemistry. Yeah. Uh, first woman to do so, um, Sidney Poitier. He won the Oscar, didn't he? First African American to win. Of the night was it? Lilies of the field, actually. Okay. Obviously, Martin Luther King won the Nobel Peace Prize. He did. But then for you, I thought this is a very important year for you in terms of the kind of one of the minority groups that that you you're very keen on. Okay. The Order of Bards, Ovids, and Druids, yeah. Obod, is founded in England. As the equivalent of Wales is Gorset of Bards. So the English Bards come into being in 1964. Well, that's just very appropriation, important. isn't it? <laughs> that's just cultural <laughs> appropriation. I, I'm presuming you were a member of the Seven Oaks Obad, Obod wing. Yeah, it you? wasn't very big in Seven Oaks, to be honest with you. <laughs> anyway, I've done your Druid reference for you. There was what, another what writer death in uh, 1964. T.H. White died in 1964. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's sad. There's a good, curiously specific retirement in 1964. Richard Beeching retired as the chairman of the British Railways Board oh, in 1964. Yes, of course. You've probably got a little so picture, that, picture that, of him in your study. That jumped you? out at me. Yeah, obviously. of course it did. Yeah. We usually say that you have to watch it when we're doing detective novels because we're probably going to give you a few spoilers. But yeah. you know, they are quite old, these books. So yeah. I think it's fair enough that we get away yeah, with it. Yeah. But just to warn you, we may talk about some things that happen in the book that you didn't want to know. So do read the book first if that's something that bothers you. I was quite interested. This book ends up being that the, the murderer is one of her school friends who is a woman and has a massive romantic crush on the victim and always has done. Um, it's about somebody who's got lesbian feelings, if not enacted, and frustrated yeah. as a housewife. Yeah. Now, in terms of the other things cropping up in 1964, it's quite a funny time for that. I noticed that Entertaining Mr. Sloan by Joe, Joe Wharton was, came out then. Good one. Which was... I think at the time very shocking for yes. people. Marat Saad came out around that time as well. 
which is, have you ever seen that play? I really like I've that I've never play. seen it, no. It's a really good play, actually. But I think it's this idea that there's sort of this growing sort of new, new writing, particularly in theatre and on television, about real lives and about real lives for people who aren't just sort of white, pale, male, stale blokes yeah. in authority. Because also then the, the Wednesday play started off on BBC One television, these one-off contemporary social dramas, which had, I think had a quite a big influence. Yeah, yeah. Both on actors and on writers about yeah, their opportunity huge, yeah. to give voice. Well, to BBC these Two started broadcasting this year as well, so it's another. Oh yeah, yeah, for, yeah. Uh, so another platform for more challenging content. Yeah, if you think about that, that this book comes out in, at a moment where we're suddenly, for the first time, people are talking about lesbianism. They're talking about the experience of the Afro-Caribbean community. They're talking about the experience of working class people yeah. in the context of what you might call high art. Um, they're talking about homosexuals like Joe Orton. Yeah. It's quite a big deal, isn't it? Very good. Uh, the other thing I would say is it's quite a big deal for invented towns. Oh, okay. Uh, 1964. Yeah. There were three new towns announced in 1964, including Milton Keynes. Oh, yes, of course. Just, which at the time was just a little village. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so, you, so it's all right to just make up things about towns because yeah, they're the just building them. It. It's so, a, they're just building them as they go. Everyone's inventing so towns. So Kings Markham could be a new town. It could be a new town. Why not? Yeah. I like that idea. That's yeah. very good. So, yeah, so lots going on in 1964. Uh, and we didn't mention music. Well M- done. Yes, thank you. I will, I will do one bit of music, which I think you would, you would like. I think it was the, um, uh, the Nine Tailors where we were talking about births. And we mentioned Dr. Robert Moog. Was yes, born. we did. Well, he actually demonstrated his prototype Moog synthesizer in 1964. Who to and where? Uh, well, presumably to a, not to a very big audience. <laughs> To a bunch of very interested Germans, I would say, in Dusseldorf, they're going. I've had an idea. He did actually turn up at the Abbey Studios quite quite early on and presented it to the Beatles. And there's a little bit. There's some photographs of them trying to work it out. Yeah. They're all sticking in little plugs yeah. like they know what they're doing. Well, this start, started in 1964. So <laughs> nice. So I've managed to mention the Beatles here. now, so I got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> it was a fine morning, June coming in like a lamb. And from his desk, Wexford could see the gardens of Berry Street and the window boxes of the Midland Bank full of blown Kaiserskroon tulips. The spring flowers were passing, the summer ones not yet in bud except for rhododendrons, just as the first peals of the high school bell began to toll faintly in the distance, Sergeant Cam brought in the tea and Mrs Missile. Ah, we're at the police station. So... Inspector Wexford is at his desk. He's looking out onto the high street. Yes. Uh, he can hear the bell from the school. Mm-hmm. We're sitting on the corner of New Road and Bepton Road. Yes. Which is where the police station in um, Midhurst was until 1974, I think. Yes, I've got a, a, a very good site here called gravelroots.net, which is memories of various places. And there's actually photographs of the of the of the station, and then a picture of it being demolished yep. in 1974. So it would have been there in 1963. So it would have been here. This is where we are. Yeah. Now, this you know we're starting to worry now, aren't we? I'm worried about Ruth Rendell. I'm worried about her, her too. And her, her sense of I mean, her I'm memory of her, Midhurst. I'm worried about her statement that this book, King's Markham, is based on Midhurst, because uh, where we're sitting. Is nowhere near the high street. No, it's, uh, it's, it's south of the town, 
It's, um, I think you can hear, listener, we're just sitting on a junction, a busy junction on a bench conveniently across a, a weird housing estate. Yeah. I noticed uh, that the estate is called the Wyndham Estate. The, there was a business park called the Wyndham Estate. Yeah. yeah. The Wyndham Park. I'm beginning to think we should have done the Midwich Cuckoos by John Wyndham yeah. and just not bothered with this. Yeah. At least had mid in the title. <laughs> we uh, struck out with a station. We struck out with a marketplace. And, and we certainly struck out with the completely lo- in the wrong well. Place. We struck out with the location of the police station, but that's not the only thing that's wrong with it, right? Well, I'm very disappointed about this because I've got quite excited about my in my research uh, because there's a bit in the book where they describe the um, the the other police officer in this. What's his name? Mike Burden. Mike Burden, the most bad-tempered individual in any novel ever. Um, there's, there's actually quite a good interview with Ruth Wendell where she talks about how people had, uh, when she'd been to various literary gatherings, they'd said to her over time, not from this first book but later on, that he was a very unbelievable character and that there was no police officer like that <laughs> in the police force. Yeah. And she was always, took, she was very affronted by this until she said she'd gone to an event in Norwich oh, okay. and someone at the end of the book reading came up for a book signing and said to her my husband's a police officer he's exactly like that right that's very Ruth Rendell and she was she, she goes felt years and years and years of being told that there's nobody like that she meets one person <laughs> in Norwich of all places <laughs> and she goes that's the proof I was right all along he hates everybody no but the thing is she, 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 she makes things up and then down the line goes see yeah there is a place like that yeah it's called midhurst oh no oh Oh. now look it says here that 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 he he leaves parsons the the bereft husband in this book dazed between a rubber plant and a chair shaped like the bowl of a spoon a spongy spoon cough mixture red this is in the police station yeah so So modernist furniture yeah exactly and it's all marble and tiles with a mottled design like stirred oil She's quite fed up. This description is about what you're meant to expect, which is a Dixon of Doc Green kind of yeah, building. Yeah. And this, this modern thing, she's not very happy about. Well, this is the trouble we'll have with Mike Burden. Is he the voice of Ruth Rendell? Well, or, he, is he, or is she kind of satirising a grumpy... I think he's the voice of Ruth Rendell. I think he might be. It, yeah. it was absurd, he thought, knocking on Wexford's door, to build a concrete box of tricks like this yeah. amid the quiet, crowded houses of the high street quite right that it's absurd to build a concrete box of tricks in the high street it's not realistic it's more than absurd it's impossible it never happened because there is no high street well it's not on the high street but also the architecture if you go and look at the old uh, police station yeah it's um it's an old brick building it's a proper old dixon of dot green one it's not one of the new chimneys now i was i was a bit now look if i show you a picture of what they built in the early 60s in rochester uh, see, that's more of a thing, more isn't like it? it right? That's and a concrete cube. That's a concrete cube. And if I go... There's plenty of them around. Look, here, there's the one... In Kent, they went crazy for them. Does your wife ever pick up your phone and go, what are all these web pages you've got open? <laughs> so Tim's got, like, pages and pages of, like... Canterbury Police Station. Sexy, modernist police stations. Yeah, look at that one, Oh, Canterbury. look at the brutalism on that. Yeah. Chatham. I like the Chatham one. Yes. That looks like a concrete hole, yes, doesn't yes, it? Yes, 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 yes. So... Kent Police Force were going crazy well, for this stuff. Well, actually, Sevenoaks Police Station looked a bit like that one. In the, in the late 50s, 60s, they had a massive rebuilding programme. Yep. Sussex didn't. No. Even I found ones in Hull that are really cool, look really cool. <laughs> How long were you looking at this stuff for? 
quite a long time. I tell you where there is one huge concrete pile. What? Brighton. Okay. Yes. So, That's enormous, the one in Brighton. Yeah. So she might have heard about the Brighton one, yeah. I suppose, and thought, oh, well, they're building. And she may have read that there's a big new build, uh, building programme for police, new police stations, which there was in the 50s and 60s. Can we, can we I mean, at this point in our journey, do we be- really believe that Ruth Rendell researched police stations before she wrote about this one? Because I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe she didn't. She had an idea in her mind of a concrete police station, didn't she? Well, I think she maybe read the paper one day and someone was talking about she, well, a new police Well, she's a journalist. Station. She was a journalist. Yeah. She um, thought, that looks good. Yeah. Is it in Sussex? No, it's no, in Kent. I'll put it in Sussex. Doesn't matter, does it? No. Um, is it on the high street? No. No, it's not. It doesn't matter. Is there a high street? I'll put it on the high street. No. Is there a high street? No. Doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. We're struggling here, aren't we, Tim? I think we might have to uh, apologise to the council. Yeah. <laughs> we, might this, to, we might have to get, give our grant back. This sense of place walk isn't really working. Yeah. Well, we've, we're, you know, we found a, 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 an abandoned railway station that's no longer there. Yeah. A, a police station that's no longer there, not in the right place and didn't look right. Yes. And a market square where you can't see the things that she says you can see from. Apart from that, it's going swimmingly. Women, they drive you spare, don't they? And always starts writing out a shopping list just as I leave the house. Then wonders why I'm nearly always late for work. The sergeant will do his nut if I'm late for the morning briefing. Especially as I'm the new boy here. My first posting after finishing training school two months ago. Johnny, my mate, he's been in the force for nearly four years. I've been going out with him on patrol, learning the ropes. I've got plenty to learn. And Johnny doesn't let me forget it. We've been warning people in all our detective fiction books that there will be plot spoilers, uh, which is obviously a big deal when it comes to crime thrillers. Uh, if you don't want to know who done it uh, and you want to read the book first, I suggest you stop listening at this point because we're going to we're going to start we'll just revealing, fast forward. We're going to start revealing some stuff now. The reason from Doom with Death is particularly interesting is that the killer is actually uh, a woman. And she's actually been in love with the woman who was killed for, for ever since their school days. That's right. And she's been writing these. She's been sending her poetry, poetry books, and, love and then lots of lots of letters, quite florid love letters. And everyone has assumed the police have assumed this must be some bloke who got a crush on her, and they they don't think about the idea that it would be a woman. Occur to them. You can imagine the uh, the guy who finally published it going, "Oh, this could." Racy. This could this could set a few. I think I know running. what the marketing plan for this I is. I think I know what the plan is. <laughs> I can picture the cover now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, the book came out in 1964, which is quite a good time for it. I, I was going to say the first thing to say is that um, Ruth Rendell talks about homosexuality and also illegitimate, illegitimate children in her books. That yeah. they feature a lot, yeah. and she recognises as, as much as fat people. Oh, yes, fat she's shaming. She's obsessed with how people, fat people are. You see, I didn't even notice that. Oh, she's just like... Uh, Wexford, in later books, Wexford's always talking about he's struggling with his weight. Can you tell this hit home? In the later book, Road Rage, which we'll talk about a little bit in the, in the second episode, you know, there's, there's, there's two characters who are just... The only, the only reason they're there is to go on about how fat they are. <laughs> and there's, I think there's about four or five times in this book where a character is described as being something, something, and fat. Well, I... Said to you, I, I, I hadn't a, I hadn't noticed it, but b, I thought, well, if you grew up in the thirties and forties as a, and through rationing, 
it might be noticeable that in the early 60s people started to get a bit podgier because you were used to hanging around with uh, with skinny people uh, well, and undernourished people. I don't really buy that. So that maybe it wasn't a, it wasn't so much a kind people of prejudice. It was a, it was it was social commentary. People weren't fat. In the it 60s. was social commentary. They weren't fat in the 60s. So they had people puppy got, fat. People got fat in the 70s and 80s, but they weren't fat in the 60s. <laughs> she says that in the in the 60s in particular, she felt that the treatment of homosexuality was iniquitous. This is an interview I got from her. And the links to these interviews will be available to patron supporters only, remember. So yeah. if you want to get hold of this stuff, you've got to pay us two quid. Uh, both were very strongly present in society, she says, when I was young. Also, I had a cousin who was gay and who eventually died of an AIDS-related illness in 1989. He was put through aversion therapy, which was pretty grim. This must have been in the 1970s, I think, and it was so horrible he ran away. Of course, I knew he was gay. We were great friends as well as cousins. He was very unhappy and often very unpleasant. It sours the character, this sort of thing. She's, Odd phrase, isn't it? Well, it's interesting it's that she's... You no, know, she, 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 she means the, she means the, the she, treatment rather than the... Uh, rather than the yeah, the yeah, that's being gay, the treatment, the yes. But, but the, the idea that she could... She's, she's sort of hard, hard enough to say that he was an unpleasant guy. Yes. Uh, are having taught what he's gone through. Yeah. Shows you something about it, doesn't it? About yeah, it does her approach to character and yeah. people, which I think is quite good. What she carries on to say, which I think is quite interesting, she says the vast majority of the British public don't want to know what gay people do in the bedroom. Okay. If their attention is drawn to it, then surely they will be disgusted. I think it's so significant, says Rendell. I think it's at the root of all prejudice against male homosexuality. That's why nobody really cares about lesbians, do they? It's penetration that bothers them. <laughs> Nobody really cares about lesbians. Well, so where were the lesbians in 1964? Well, it's an interesting time, isn't it? Well, I think it is. I, I she's found, kind of uh, she's kind of uh, on a rich seam on this one. I would say I, she's she's right on the money. I'd say about this uh, in terms of time and place. So we're talking about that in 1963, which is the year we think. This book, book is set, although Ruth Rendell seems to in her think it's a different year entirely. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. In 1963, a group was formed called the Minorities Research Group, uh, which was the first organisation to openly advocate the interests of lesbians in the United Kingdom. It was founded by four women who got together in response to an article that was published in the magazine 20th Century. This article yeah, uh, was by a, a journalist. I was trying to find a copy of this by Dillis Rowe. It was called, the article's called A Quick Look at Lesbians. Hey. <laughs> Although it would appear condemning in the present day, it discussed serious issues with interviews and quotations and prompted an interest. So that's quite, so it's all just rising at this point. Yeah. The key person who, who sort of started this group with the other, other women was Esme Langley, one of the key founders. She's really, really interesting. Do you know another person who was a member of it? It was Iris Murdoch. Oh, really? And 1964 is when The Italian Girl comes out. Right. Which has got all kinds of hanky-panky going yeah. on. Did you ever read that book? No. That was considered at my school in the, in the, in the 70s. Naughty reading. Naughty reading. Yeah. Illicit reading, The Italian Girl. That just shows the level of your school was at. <laughs> that, was a, that was a dirty book. I think James I was heard of The Italian was Girl. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, anyway, they went on. She got a job, Esme Langley, with a publisher, with a magazine publisher, and thought, hold on a minute, I could, we could do a magazine. 
So she learned how to put a magazine together, like a, 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 zine, a newsletter called Arena 3. So she's, she's an extraordinary woman, Esme Langley. <laughs> she, she just learnt languages for fun. She could speak about sort of ten different languages. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just studied Italian for fun. She, she, after she'd fallen out, with the, there was a lot of falling out in the group and all this kind of stuff, um, she went off to Malawi to, as a kind of missionary or to work there helping people. Yeah. Got involved in politics as well. But she also then, in a later life, she retired to Spain and just learned Spanish immediately. She's, wow. she's very, she's an amazing person. She, she was in the ATS during the war. And at the end of the war, she, there's a, she, I'm quite interested in reading this book, actually, that she um, came out and she, she published a book called Why Should I Be Dismayed under a pseudonym, Anne Bruce. I can't find this book anywhere, but I'm interested in it. And it's about her experience of leaving the British Army in 1945, penniless, homeless, and pregnant. So she had three children. Yeah. All these women were, uh, had relationships, not necessarily got married, but they definitely they, they, they had they had children that they uh, brought up. They're all quite respectable, yeah. I put that in quotes, like the women we're talking about in this book, and also sort of hiding in plain sight. Yeah, so sort they of, have some agency, I suppose, do they? Social agency? Well, here's the thing. So Arena 3 is quite interesting on this because the magazine comes out and they also start to have meetings. The magazine, is, um, its, it, its uh, mission was to conduct and collaborate in research into the homosexual condition, especially as it concerns women, and to disseminate information and items of interest to universities, institutions, social and education workers, writers, poets, editors, employers, and in short, all those genuinely in quest of enlightenment about what has been called the misty, unmapped world of feminine homosexuality. It is interesting, because we were talking about this in the car. There aren't any, we were trying to think of any, sort of cultural representations of female homosexuality that are sort of mainstream. I mean, there are representations of male homosexuality. They tend to be kind of comic. Well, they're know. safe, aren't they? They're, they tend they're, to be kind of, yeah. They tend, they're they're safe camp uh, so, ideas. You know, there's, 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 you know, there's uh, Julian and Sandy on Round the Hall. Kenneth Williams, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. All, uh, right back in the 50s of kind of like, you know, you know Obviously, gay men, and particularly in the comedy world, Larry Grayson, yes, all that sort of stuff, and then also men dressing up as women. So you have Danny Larue's nightclub, it was very, very popular around this time. It's where Peter Cook started. He, he, he so there's a kind of public acknowledgement that this stuff happens among between men, even if you're, you know, the only way you can kind of handle it or process it is to take the take the Mickey out of it. Yeah, but there's nothing like that for women. There's there's no roles you know there's no cultural representations of women i mean there's the the bloomsbury set and vita sackville west and all yes. that kind of stuff but that's about i think she it. died that year vita sackville west. yes well, yeah. that's interesting yeah. but that's about it you know there's no and, and actually when you read about lesbianism sort of early in the century posh people seem to sort of go on i don't believe that sort of thing goes on seems to be the line you know it's, yeah. it's almost like denying it ever happened well there's definitely a class issue i found a really excellent article on um the british library site about Arena 3, written by Stephen Dryden. Well done, Stephen. This is, I really enjoyed this. And it's not only uh, uh, text, it's got interviews with some of the key players. It's yeah. really great. It's really interesting. But one of the things it do, he does dr- uh, sort of drill down to a bit is the class issue. Because, I hadn't realised this, that um, there were, of course, clubs for butch lesbians. Yeah. But they weren't invited to these meetings. <laughs> Oh, really? Well, one of the early meetings addressed this issue. Yeah, so this is the issue of 
Yeah. There's new societies meetings. Yeah. yeah. These meetings degenerated debate about lesbian identities, and consensus was often hard to come by, you know, I bet. On top of this, the presence of butch lesbians at these meetings who dressed in men's suits and styled their hair with brill cream made venue owners suspicious as spaces were usually booked for women-only meetings. Oh. At one of the early meetings, they addressed it head-on by tabling a motion for discussion that this house considers the wearing of male attire at MRG meetings as inappropriate. The vote went against the motion, but only by 28 to 25 with six abstentions, well. meaning full butch attire continued to be allowed at MRG meetings. However, a tone was set that butch lesbians were not welcome in the MRG community. Now, they did have a club. It was called the Gateways in Chelsea. It was a lesbian club, and the butch identity was very evident there, apparently. But it turns out that most of the members of uh, the Arena 3 group were critical. They didn't like butch Interesting. And um, this is all happening in the early 60s, these meetings and these yeah, yeah. debates. So the founding members, they would go to the club, but they didn't like the idea of, uh, oh, of, of these women coming to their meetings. And it said, this is, this is good from Stephen, he says, some scholars have suggested there was a class dimension to the hostility towards butch lesbian identities. What, because the butch lesbian was considered... Working bit, class or a bit, or a bit uh, below the soul. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. So when you say the push, the 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 the, the, the posh w- posh people were saying, "Oh, this doesn't go on here." Yeah. The, the women were saying that. Well, they they were all dressed up like yeah. a lady of the manor, right? Yeah, yeah. We've seen that a bit, haven't we, with um, um, Daphne de Maurier? We have uh, striding around in uh, her husband's suits when he's not yeah. there. Yeah, very interesting. Um, it's quite interesting that yeah, stuff, yeah. isn't it? That's good. Is it? I mean, the the, the 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 placing of all this happening. As this book comes out, oh, it's in the this air. This book must have been quite a, a thing in those, in that's those right. circles. Yes, exactly. Uh, they you would know, have a mainstream, all popular detective fiction book that's yeah. got a, a, a lesbian twist to it. That's right. And not, a, and not a butch one, thank you very not much. Not a butch one. Well, it's really that uh, I want to love and be loved by another woman. How can you find such a woman? Well, that's the difficulty. Uh, in a way, it means that I have to keep making friends with people because I can't find out unless I make friends with them. And then, if they are lesbian, there's hope for me. But even then, there isn't hope unless they happen to take to me. Can you tell by looking at a woman whether she's lesbian not or not? Not at all. You think that's a complete myth? An absolute myth. Because I've been looking out uh, hard enough. So I, I thought we'd be going to another location in episode one of uh, in Midhurst. <laughs> I, I sort of ran out of steam, really. Well, increasingly, it, it, it's a bit worrying, isn't it? Yeah. Because uh, we've still got some to go in part two. We've got a whole other episode to do. Yeah. <laughs> Without having dawned on us that Midhurst is completely the wrong place. Yeah. What are we going to do? We haven't had this situation before, have we? Well, I have we there's... ever gone anywhere where it's like everything's wrong? Well, I think there's two things that we can do. Uh, one thing is we can, you know, we can carry on determinedly to try and find somewhere that matches yeah um, and the other thing I think we should do is talk about whether there are other places that could be ah uh, that's a good idea so yes. we're going to do that in part two okay that's good uh, but there is one place that we found that does work I think I will leave that as a cliffhanger 
for uh, oh that's good for part two we and meanwhile, meanwhile, do another pointless visit to a cinema that isn't there in a river that's in the wrong place. Exactly. 